Support for Oyster World Radio comes from you, our listeners. If you would like to support the show, visit the link in the show description or visit patreon.com forward slash Oyster World Radio. For only $5 a month, you get all of the behind-the-scenes coverage of how these random interviews materialize, plus some travel tips. So don't miss out and support the show today. More support means meeting more people that you would normally never meet, less travel headaches while you're on the road, and you get to learn the ins and outs of everywhere I go. Become a Patreon and an expert traveler at patreon.com forward slash oysterworldradio and support the show today. Welcome to Oyster World. Oyster World. Radio. Hello, Oysters, and welcome to another episode of Oyster World Radio, the podcast where we broaden our perspectives by listening to the stories of people from all over the globe. I am Nathan Lieberman, and in this episode, we have a chat with Veronique Mamashella. Veronique just loves. She loves and loves and loves some more. She brings in weary travelers, children from the community, and really anyone that needs a little more love in their lives. We all know people like this, but this is the first time I stopped to think about how someone came to be this way. What was it? Were they born this open? Did they learn to be this way? Was it luck? So we talked about it. And luckily for you, I also recorded it. This conversation is not only about giving and being more giving, but a crash course on finding happiness for those that have misplaced it. Coming from Francis Town, Botswana, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Veronique Mamashella. Well, Veronique, welcome to Oyster World Radio. We're really excited to have you on. We're sitting in your living room as the kids have already gone to sleep, as the peace and quiet finally falls <laughs> over the house. And how are you? What's up? I'm good, thanks. <laughs> so I cornered you finally for this podcast interview. And I think all the listeners out there are really going to enjoy it because you got one hell of a story. It's been fun getting to Botswana. Um, unfortunately, it's a place that I didn't know quite existed before <laughs> I started my travels. But this place is great. Are you in the same Botswana as I am? <laughs> why? Why, are you, why do you say that? Because you've literally been roasting for the past four days. That is true. It is hotter than hell here, especially in the middle of January. Which makes no sense to me. It's supposed to be snowing. Okay. <laughs> global warming. Oh, yeah. Global warming. In, Let's go with that. Especially since <laughs> Is it usually this hot, though? Um, no, actually, it's been quite cool. But I've realized cool? for you, it's been hot. Yeah, we haven't had 40s. I think the highest it was at some point was 35. So Which is was... almost 100 degrees Fahrenheit, which is a lot. Not here. Forty is a lot. Like for when, like I said, when the cows start fainting, then you know that it's oh man, really it's hot, hot today. And we have had no fainted cows. So <laughs> <laughs> I like how that's your thermometer. Like ah, cows fainted. Must be hot today. <laughs> exactly. Jesus. Oh. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. It's like snowing back home, and that it's very very strange to me. But hey, it's good. I mean, we we didn't have a barbecue. We had a braai. It's a bride. Which, which I yes. mean, delicious, well, we say barbecue, lots of Barbecue meat. is way more hygienic. Um, <laughs> what we had was a bride. It's a bunch of strangers together basically having a barbecue. Uh, you don't know each other. The idea is for each person to actually come up to a stranger and try and, you know, socialize. 
that's why you remember we had a bunch of random people just wanting to talk to us. Yeah, it was great. We had our own little table, but people kept on coming in and out. Especially that one guy that was having a really good time with that monster <laughs> beer that he had. And there's some, something that I've never encountered before was the greeting part uh, yeah. of, of Botswana, right? It's part of, of mm-hmm. the entire culture of Botswana, where if you go into a space and you lock eyes with somebody, then you you have to greet them. Otherwise, it's quite rude. It's an acknowledgement yes. sort of thing, which is really nice. It's refreshing. That Actually, if it's not necessarily just the locking of eyes. If you walk into a room and you're the one walking in, then you have to greet. So if we're seated, perfectly okay. You wait for the other person to greet you. But if you're the one moving, you're expected to do the greeting. Okay, so if you're moving into space, there's people there. Yeah. You should you should greet everybody. Acknowledge their presence, basically. And it makes sense because you know everybody <laughs> in this town. It feels like when we went out to get groceries, you're saying hi to people, you're saying hi to cashiers, people walking around. It, it's a small town, but it's not that small either. It's yeah. Well, you. I've stayed here long enough. I've been here for five years, so. Greeting usually leads into conversation, then you know stuff about people, so then you just end up like one giant big family village. It's a town, actually. Yeah, well, it really is. It's even your neighborhood, like everyone's all the kids play together, Mm -hmm. all all the neighbors know each other. (laughs) You're interested, just bicker at each other (laughs) nonstop. It's been really fun to get to know all you guys, and I think it's a good way to transition into getting to know you better i'm glad you enjoyed your stay oh yeah it couldn't have gone better we we were two lazy travelers this this, this four days awesome fun it's awesome because that means that i didn't have to do anything you don't want to do anything yay <laughs> <laughs> i don't have to do anything either well that's yeah i mean we we had enough fun just with ourselves and the kids so we, we were busy even though we were really weren't running around in the heat and yeah. fainting like the cow. <laughs> yeah. Okay, but enough enough of that. Let's get to know you a little bit more. Okay. And you've told me some bits and pieces of your past as I've gotten to know you. Starting with your background, and I always like to start all my guests with their background and how they grew up, but yours was really interesting. Some of the episodes I just did were from Johannesburg in South Africa and apartheid and... Your grandfather had a direct tie into that movement as well, but you were you were young and moving around with him. I guess my first question is: you're you're like six to twelve years old, right? Somewhere in that range, and you're always moving. But did you know what was going on during this time, or did you know what your grandfather was doing for the movement? I think um, as kids, we all want to. Because, yes, he was my granddad, but I called him daddy. I'm pretty sure I wasn't really, I didn't really know that he was my granddad for the longest time. I just knew that he was my daddy. But everybody thinks of their dad as a superhero. Yeah. And for me, I guess it's it's way cooler because I got to see him doing the, heroes, the superhero stuff. So, yeah, I didn't necessarily know what a major impact um he had but the fact that he would walk into a room and there would be a bunch of old people crying and thanking him kind of clued me in on 
Okay, he wow. does something special. Yeah. I mean, no matter where we went, people were always grateful. And they never actually said we're grateful for this and this. It was just, um, which is basically, thank you, Father, or thank you, Elder. Yeah. So what exactly was he doing at the time? I knew he was working with newspapers, but what exactly was he working on? wasn't necessarily working with newspapers. He was founding newspapers that exposed the truth because I guess most newspapers at the time were government-owned, if not all. So he would be coming in to expose the real truth that has been hidden, kind of like in Al Jazeera of Africa. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, basically. So in Botswana, there was a bunch of corruption, but it was never that big. That he would expose um, unjust truth, unjust that the government lying to the people and all that. And in South Africa, he was exposing how much people are trying to hide the apartheid that was going on at the time and exposing individual stories, basically, not just like rounding it all up to, oh, we're all going through a tough time, but this person went through this, this person's child died, and this happened and whatnot, so, yeah. yeah. So he was getting on the ground and gaining stories for, yeah, to really expose the truth. Yeah, exactly what you he said. was, yeah, a whistleblower. Yeah, and so you, so you're, you're his grandchild, but that's really your dad. You grew up with yeah. him, and so what was that dynamic? Like, you're seeing these people thank him. You, you probably also saw some fear towards him from the other side, maybe some government supporters. Or like, was, was it hard to process what was going on? Or did you just like, oh, okay, this is my, my dad's a superhero. My granddad's a superhero. <laughs> I already knew that. I think, yeah, fine. I saw the black people thank him. But I don't know why. He always exposed me more. To the, I was exposed more to the white people who were helping in the freedom fights. I wasn't really exposed to the, um, oh, you better stop this type people. Yeah. There were people who were risking their lives and their freedom, mind you. They were privileged. They didn't have to be part of the battle. But those are the people who he brought into my life. Those are the people that I regularly saw and met. The white people who were actually sacrificing to help um, the black people, and same with the Indians that I met. They were always the people helping. I wasn't really exposed to the herters as much as I was exposed to the healers. Yeah, and that must have been a really great foundation for you growing up to see all these strong people Yeah, and have them around you and and I guess also just be part of that mm. movement. You say that plays a role with you through the rest of your life or... I think it would, because um, I realized as an adult that I was way more broad-minded than most of the people around me. Not in an obnoxious way, just you hear stories about apartheid, but you never hear about the white people and the sacrifices. You hear stories about Lesotho, but you never actually hear about the peace and, and the love that goes on there. So while people knew the truths, uh, that were exposed, uh, that were basically all just mean stuff. Because nobody ever writes about, oh my God, there's so much love. It's all about. It's always 48 people died. Yeah. So I knew the full story behind it, 
most of the time. And yeah, it kind of, it's easy to love when you know that even during the hate, there was that much love. Yeah. Oh, that's really beautifully said. I, I It's hard to, for me to imagine growing up in a situation like that. But at the same time, it's exactly what you said. It's to see behind the scenes and see the love and the humanity even in a dark time must have that's beautiful there's a lot of beauty in that and that that was like that's your upbringing so you you bounced around your your grandfather was founding newspapers and helping the cause when he can and then all of a sudden the well i guess not all of a sudden but in the end they they won mandela was elected was freed and elected in 1994 and then apartheid was over and that's when you came back to Botswana, is that correct? Or and that's oh. when things started to really change, right? Um, apartheid was never over. I think it still exists now. It's just that now it's better hidden. It's not acceptable to be racist. But I always say it's not it's not fair to judge some of the people who are doing it. It's like you live until you're twenty knowing that these black people are baboons, right? And then one day you're told, no, they're not. They're not baboons. You got to... That mindset's still in you somehow. You try and raise your kids right, but it's still in you somehow. It's No matter how much you try and fight it, it's become part of you by then. But, yeah, basically after the whole freedom thing, it took years before we could actually say anything was happening. But that's when my granddad moved um, to Lesotho. And then, like, I shot, I followed shortly, like, months later. But in Lesotho, there was more turmoil going, in, mm. going on. And then after Lesotho was Swaziland uh, with the whole, we want a prime minister, and, yeah, and you're not going to get one kind of thing. Yeah. But then after that, then back to Lesotho, and in Lesotho, unfortunately, my granddad got cancer and had an incident, internal bleeding and whatnot, and he passed away. So, yeah, that's when I came back to Botswana after he passed away. I'm really sorry to hear that, especially uh, as such a strong figure. I'm sure that must have been also a really strange time for you. Mm, not really. I was 13 at the time. I was just a baby. But all I remember really about his death is everywhere I went, just crossing from Lesotho to Botswana, everywhere I went, there were so many memorial services for him. People were holding memorial services. The newspapers were all like, people were like really, like really grieving over this man. And I don't think I really grieved for him until I was 16. It's like basic. My mother, I love her to bits, but because we grew up as sisters, it was hard for her to all of a sudden just change and be my mother. So it was that's when the, the, the reality of it kicked in when I was a proper teenager and there was nobody to really be like a parental figure. And my mom yeah. did try her best, but she's just been thrown in the deep end and told, here's your kid back, raise her. Yeah. And what was there a moment that it really snapped in, or was it a slow setting where the things weren't returning back to normal, or no one was taking the lead, or like what was going on in your head? Especially, you know, it seems like a very large void to fill. But um, I think 
after after the my granddad passed away there were so many battles for inheritance that I just kind of was pushed aside but even after that when they were done with their little battles I I was a stubborn child for an african they considered me really beyond stubborn I yeah I wasn't doing half the things I was supposed to. There's this whole thing that when you start getting your little tiny boobies, you're supposed to wake up at 5 a.m. to sweep the entire yard and sweep your boobs um, so that they don't grow in too quickly. Huh. I remember being like, I'm not getting up at 5 to no. do what? She was like, no, that's not happening. Is, is the sun just, even up at 5? No, I'm waiting for the sun to come up. I was always stubborn. I remember my mother beating me to a pop because they told her if you do not beat her she is going to just go down the wrong path and she she beat me so bad i remember because i was wearing my school uniform but when she was done with me you couldn't tell whether i was wearing a white shirt that had red spots or if i was wearing a red shirt that had white spots that's how bad it was Ooh, yeah and i remember calling child line i'm like this woman's trying to kill me how are you that stubborn even after a beating? Just try, just try and be a submissive, proper African child. But yeah, it never worked. Oh, that ne- that's just not you. <laughs> Hell no. But eventually, I think as we grew older, just like finished high school, she began to embrace me more because she realized, although I had my own mind, I wasn't getting into the stuff that the other kids were getting into. I wasn't becoming a little alcoholic. I wasn't cha- running off with boys. I I was still that stubborn and wanted mm-hmm. to be great. I wasn't really deterred by half the things that were going on around me. Yeah. So that's when she began to appreciate me and we got closer. Yeah. Yeah, and you were saying this before too, and, and it, your your grandfather had that influence of you to be great. I am not submissive, just going to be a wife. I'm going to be great and I'm going to go do my thing. And that must have carried on through those years, even through the beatings and then into into normal life. Because shortly afterwards, you went off on your own to pursue the next phase of your life. Yeah, pretty much. I, I was stubborn. I knew I was going to be great. I... I went off in search for this greatness. Got sidetracked <laughs> for about <laughs> 10 years. <laughs> I got married, had kids. And unfortunately for me, my desire to be great, yeah, it didn't really work out. <laughs> yeah, so, so you're, you're, you're young, you're 17 at the time, and you're running off on your own and you're wanting to be great. But what was, what was your first step? Like, what... Like, okay, I'm about to be great. Now what? Like, what'd you do? What was the first thing you did? I remember the, the first thing that I did that people thought was weird is I remember my um, my college applications uh, being in front of me and I was just rejecting the things that they'd given me. I was like, I'm not doing accounting. I'm, I'm not going to be an accountant. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing this. They're like, no, just take whatever you, just take whatever they give you and then, then you can change along the way. I was like, no. I know exactly what I want to be. I want to do this. I, I'm going to do business administration. It encompasses everything. It took a year for them to give me what I wanted, but yeah. I was willing to wait. And, of course, everybody thought that I was stupid for it. But it worked out. I, I went to college. I did my business. 
administration. Um, I have always been a hustler. I did my little side hustles, but I'm lucky in that when Botswana gives you a scholarship, because as as long as you've passed your 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 O levels in Botswana, they will give you a scholarship to further your education. Mm-hmm. So when it gives you a scholarship, they give you an allowance. Basically, housing allowance, stationery allowance, book allowance, basically everything oh, is paid yeah. for. It's just I was never satisfied with that. I always wanted to do more. You were a hustler, I, of course. So I did my little Come side on. hustles. And I remember, like I said, um, paying for my little brother's preschool. And my mom lived in Canada at the time by then. But yeah, all that. I I bought my first car. Well, with help, but I was my first. But you girl. did, and I stayed with amazing. my little flat. Had my cute little puppy. Paris Hilton was a big thing back then, so little puppies were really big. Yeah. <laughs> so you had a little puppy. Had the little puppy, did all that. <laughs> but yeah, was really independent. By the time I hit twenty-one, I was super independent. At this thing where I'd go to the club, and a guy would be like, "Can I buy you a drink?" I'd be like, can I buy you the bar? <laughs> oh, and you probably could. Oh, at that point. I could. So, yeah, I was super independent. Yeah, now you're running the place. You're, you're pretty much the mayor of the city. You're, <laughs> you're taking over. And, you know, that's, that's really when life decides to throw a wrench in your plans. And like mm. you said, it, that's when you, you met the guy. It was surprising to hear that, obviously, you're a hustler. You're always striving. But there was a time during your marriage that started to slide you were saying you tried to be more of a traditional wife yeah. have the man fed look pretty and also he had demands for you yeah. as well and mind you i think he's like the best thing to ever happen to me because it's like him trying that hard to break me actually made me stronger but it changed really slowly like it it, it it's not like he j- like, he was, like, the best husband ever initially. Um, we did stuff together. I think it's more after the kids were growing up. And then he came from a really poor background when he started making money as well. That basically messed with his brain, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then the idea of me being so strong to his friends was not attractive. Why? Do you have a wife who is this stubborn and this strong? So he did just change gradually. And then I also changed gradually and until I was somebody that I couldn't recognize. I thought it, I was, I thought I was being a good wife, but I wasn't. It took, I think the reason Tristan and I are so uh, close is because probably after I'd been married maybe six years, he um, gave me this example. Uh, Tristan and Tyra at the time are my church elders, well, church leaders. But he said to me, the problem with people nowadays, the problem with society, is you take a, a, a puzzle piece and then you file it into a square. When it's time for that puzzle piece to do what it's meant to, be, to, to, to do, it can't because mm. it has been completely changed from what it was originally so now you're trying you're trying to figure out why you can't see the picture why you can't see life like the entire thing because this one thing has too many edges removed off of it yeah. and he said to me stop trying to be 
the person who fits in. Start being yourself. Yeah. The only way you can be great is if you go back to who you were. And he said to me, God made you different on purpose. To deny who you are is to say that God made a mistake. So stop it. Stop trying to be the long dress, perfect wife, washing your husband, giving him food. Stop even with a voice change. Your voice doesn't sound like that. Because at a point, I had tried to tone down my voice because it's so strong. I was trying to get it more feminine and talk like this all the time. Yeah. So he's like, stop it. Be you. I, it, like, it was like the best thing that anybody could have ever said to me. Because then I try to be myself again. But then, unfortunately for me, me being myself is what caused most of the problems in my marriage. Because me being myself was, I'm not going to spend 20 minutes putting on makeup every single day when you won't even let me go into to work, when you insist that I stay at home. I'm not going to put on makeup for 20 minutes so I can sit at home and wait for you to walk back, I mean, to come back in from work. Yeah. I am not going to sit here with the kids after I sit, help them with their f- homework, waiting for you to walk through the door so they can go, Daddy, Daddy. And if you're late, I'm going to eat the damn food. Yeah. I'm not going to wait for the food to get cold because you decided to come at 8 when you were supposed to be here at 5. I stopped all those little things and started being myself, and that's basically what caused the problems. I, I was more of me and less of who he had trained me to be. He spent all those years trying to break me, and in one month I was like completely back to the girl that he fell in love with that everybody disapproved of, yeah. or that his friends disapproved of because she was just too strong. Women aren't supposed to be that strong. And was that hard? Um, because you must have known that, too. Or... You can't fight yourself, obviously. It's you, and you absolutely did the right thing. You could never change who you are. It also could not have been easy. How did you get the courage to keep being yourself and just go into that confrontation? I think I just had a lot of people around me who who showed me love. I, I was probably with my husband, and he probably managed to change me so much because I was love-starved. But then all of a sudden I had all these people around me who thought out the real me was great, who kept encouraging me, just random people who weren't even really that close to me. Like the cashier at the the, the thing would be like, you're so great. I really love your personality. Just little things like that. So while he was busy trying to break me, I just had so many people in my life who were trying to build me. So yeah, fine. With... Tristan, his wife, I remember when I was basically going to downfall, trying to get back to maybe the the woman that he re- that my husband really wanted. I remember saying, I think I'm just a bit too strong. Maybe I should try and and play the weakling a bit. She said, you're not too strong. I'm strong. You're not too strong. And she said to me, don't forget, if you look at a color and you know it's green, Enough people tell you that it's red every single day. Eventually, you're going to start looking at the green color and maybe I'm colorblind. Maybe it's like, don't do that. Stick to what you know. That's who you are. And I love who you are. And constantly, I just kept 
getting all these encouragements that I was a beautiful person inside. That oh, despite yeah. the fact that I just said what came to my mind and despite the fact that I was so strong according to African standards and despite the fact that I basically dressed like something out of BET, so many people still love me. And I'm so blessed because my family, especially my grand aunts, just like were right there, stood by me. I remember going to a family reunion and seeing all these strong women. And, and they were, that was like the worst thing for my husband as well because they were like, why do you have a weave on? Do you not love your real hair? You know, just constantly getting encouragement until I was back to who I was initially. And lo and behold... I loved who I was. My kids loved who I was. I was happy with yeah. who I was. And that's all that counted. Yeah. Like, I had to decide whether I wanted to be right. I wanted to be happy. I chose I wanted to be happy. Yeah. And haven't looked back since. Yeah, so what, what happened next? You are happy now, even though you and your husband have separated. You, you made this really courageous decision to come back to yourself. What were what was your next action step? I think a lot of people get stuck. Like, okay, I, I need to go back to myself. But you said it would happen very quickly. But like, what were the little things that you did every day to to fight back? Well, I think my my worst enemy during that time was loneliness. Um, I would get really lonely. So what I did is I decided I have a lot of love to give. So I went looking for people to love. And I found all these little girls in this town who weren't necessarily completely happy at home. All these little families having trouble, and I loved them. I went to a local church, and I found, well, weirdly enough, churches where everybody who's hurting goes. And I just had so many people to give the love to until I just surrounded myself with all these, at the time they were mostly teenagers, teens who just filled my house every day and finished my food. And I just thought it was the best thing ever. Stock up and wait for them to come and fill my food until they themselves formed a little family. Mm -hmm. um, and then I just had this big family of about 15 kids, 15 different people calling me mama, simply because they felt like that's where they got most of their love from. Yeah. Because it's not unusual to find a, a drunkard mother or an abusive father. And when you say, hey, you're drunkard, you're abusive, uh, can I take your child? They're like, yeah, go ahead. Damn thing eats too much anyway. Just bring them home. Next, just bring them home. Oh, you don't like your child. You you keep burning her with irons and, and, and cigarette buds. Can I take her? Yeah, sure, take that thing. And so many people were so willing just to give me. Like, yeah, oh, she's nice. She has a nice house. Just, yeah, take the kids. You have a car, you have a nice house. Take the kid. I'm pretty sure the child will be fed. And, yeah, I just filled my house full of a bunch of kids. And just gave, just poured out love. And loved them to bits. And because they were teenagers, that most of them were like 16. I started with them at 16. Then two years passed, and they all went to college. And 
It was amazing being the proud mommy. I've been to so many graduations. It's yeah, ridiculous. Um, you see them get out of college. Some of them were just doing diplomas, so that's like a year and a half or two. And I have one that's working, you know. And to see what they want to do, like, I have like two who literally wanted to be missionaries after other afterwards, but not necessarily missionaries within the church, but rather going out and developing little places, you know, and you see them with their bunch of little kids that they've decided to take on. And it's like, it's completely worth it. Love is catchy. You love, and then they catch it, and then they go and give it away. And then and it just keeps spreading. It just, so what, just big, I mean, just a huge outpouring of love, especially for the community. What did that do for you and your situation? It left me so fulfilled. I couldn't figure out why I was so depressed for so long. Yeah. It just, it just, yeah, it left me fulfilled. It left me with this big, and I'm just always ready to love. I think that's why couch surfing was such an exciting thing for me. Like, yeah, let's bring people into the house and yeah. just love them for a couple of days. They're probably at, like, miserable time uh, somewhere. <laughs> love them for a couple of days or just a couple of back weeks. back on their feet. And, you know, well, that's what you did for us. Send them that. off. Like, yeah. But, yeah, you love. It's amazing. The more love you give, the more builds inside you. It's very hard to, yeah, be depressed after that. It's, you're not loving, right? Yeah, exactly. When you're when there's so much love surrounding you, it's so, it's so hard. And you know, I think that's and, and here you are. You know, you, you've you've had an up and down life with lots of twists and turns, but you have two wonderful kids. You run, you basically run Francis Town with how many people that you know, <laughs> and the kids that you've been able to take care of are graduating and moving on. And it, you know, when I look back home, I see a lot of depressed people, and I don't know if that's part of our American culture or not. But to help wrap up the show, you you've battled some very some really tough things and. For the people out there right now that are really stuck in the this moment of depression that don't really know what to do next, what would you say to them to help them move forward past this whatever dark thing that they're facing? I think depression depression is different because it's where you're focused on. It's it's like a, a magnifying glass. If you magnify just like that small aspect of it, anybody can get depressed. You can get depressed because your dog is so damn ugly. And it won't occur to you that, okay, put it down and get another dog that's cuter. <laughs> or, <laughs> or dogs don't really uh, I was live not expecting that, but yeah, or dogs don't really live that long. So, or get it a cute sweater and it will probably look better. Something like you just focus so much on the problem that you don't really see a solution. I mean, I guess it's weird, but you have to realize that you have to have a reason to get out. You have to start looking at the positive things in your life. It's hard, I guess, if you're saying back home, it's hard for an American to think running water and a flushing toilet is a luxury, like to see exactly how blessed they've been with just the little things or the fact that you have two legs or that you have two hands or maybe you did get into a car accident and lose a leg 
thank God you have one hand, uh, or the other hand, yeah. uh, leg. If, if you lost an arm, thank God you have the other arm. When you're focused on the problem, it's easy to get depressed. Because my biggest problem when I went, when I got into depression was I kept focusing on the fact that I don't know how to be a proper wife. Like, I don't know how to be what this man is asking for. It never occurred to me that there are probably a hundred billion more guys out there who think I'm beyond fantastic. Yeah. It's only when I got out of it and I uh, started getting hit on and I was like... <laughs> You mean I'm that great? And I started hearing all these people talk like, if if you if if he doesn't want, I'll take you. <laughs> Even his friends, the same friends who were advising him to get rid of me, all of a sudden were like, "Oh, oh he's such a now. bad person. I don't know how anybody can leave, let go of you." Then I was like, "Oh." I stopped focusing on the problem and started fo- focusing on the solution. And the solution for me was exactly that: loving more. Um, finding people to love who actually needed the love and appreciated the love rather than throwing um, my love down a ditch that is never full and always wants more. I started putting it in these tiny little jars that got so easily full. Like with these kids, you could do the small, you could buy this child a tie and the child would cry and hug you, be like, thank you, nobody's ever bought me a tie. I found people to love that appreciated rather than the one person focusing on the one person that didn't appreciate it i looked around and there were so many people who loved me for me yeah and whoom, had a reason to get out with depression you have to have a reason to get out and usually it's stop focusing on the negative and start focusing on what you actually have yeah and i love it there's so many different parts to that and it's very beautifully said from you know you you really do. You you can't focus too much on the problem. The problem will weigh you down and focusing yeah. on the solution. And then in a lot of the times when it's depression, it's the love. Like find something that you love. Find someone that who you love. And it could be you can find it in the most unique places. But find the people that really lift you up. And, and there are a bunch of people who are love-starved, believe it or not. So it's it should be easy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that I think that's a beautiful way to end the show. Thank you for, for coming on. This has been a wonderful, wonderful <laughs> chat. It's been really nice to hang out with you and your beautiful family for the last four days. And for everyone listening out there, uh, yeah, go find someone to love. Spread the love. And the world needs more love, I think, right now, more than ever. So thank you for coming on the show. This has been Oyster World Radio, and we'll talk again soon. Three, Thank you all for listening. This has been another episode of Oyster World Radio. And thanks again, Veronique, Mama Shella, for coming on the show. We miss you and those awesome kids of yours. Keep up to date on everything going on in the Big Sabbatical on Instagram at Wanders and in the blog of my partner in crime, Jackie Gishbacher, at Gish, that's G-I-S-H, outofwater.com. Check out the links in the show description for more information. Special thanks to Charlie Milken for all of the Oyster Jams. Check them out on Spotify or at charliemilliken.com. That's M-I-L-L-I-K-I-N. Don't forget to support the show on Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N at patreon.com forward slash Oyster World Radio. For only $5 a month, you get all of the behind the scenes 
plus some unique travel tips, so don't miss out. Once again, all of that information and links are in the show description. Thanks again for tuning in to Oyster World Radio. We'll be back in two weeks, but until then, this is Nathan Zuberman signing off. I can't take control of my life If I'm too busy looking at the stars And thinking about all time that's gone by It's time for a change In my day-to-day scene Time to turn around from that clock Face the mirror and change